Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 264, being recorded on Wednesday, May 19th, 2021. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Thanks, Jason, and welcome back, Jason Scott Show listeners. Jason, I'm still basking in the afterglow of that conversation with Brad Stone. That was really good. Um, And if listeners enjoyed that episode or any of the other ones that we put out, any of the other 262 episodes available for their listening pleasure, we would love it if you would take a second right now, pause the show. Well, after I explain this, pause the show. Um, Go and review us in your favorite podcast listening technology. So if you're on iTunes and using that, that would be great. Or Spotify or, I don't know, uh, the Amiga podcast listener. Um, Whatever floats your boat, if you would go in there and rate us, that would be great. Because that's uh, that's how we get paid here at the Jason Scott Show. We get paid by per, per review. So we really appreciate that. Um, Jason, I wanted to pick your brain before we jump into some numbers. The, the topic of the show is going to be looking at some of the results from some of the retailers we track, and then also there's some other data. Before we jump into that, I have seen a lot of people on Twitter talking about uh, it's either an app or a site that I don't know anything about, so I figured you would. And I think it's called Shein or Shine or Shein or something like that. It's spelled S-H-E-I-N. Um, it came on my radar because it is a, uh, I guess, a Decacorn. So it's north of a $10 billion valuation. Um, and it kind of came out of nowhere with over $10 billion in revenue last year. So what is this giant monster site that, that I haven't heard of that's on everyone's radar all of a sudden? Uh, yeah, you, you nailed it. It's, uh, pronounced she in, um, and I, uh, it's it's a Chinese company. It sounds like a Chinese word, but I think that's actually a trick. I think it's an English name, and I um, believe it was originally uh, "she's an insider," and it got shortened to "she in." Nice. I don't know if that's proper English, but we'll go with it. Yeah, that might have been why they shortened it. Yeah, sometimes that gets people attention, so it can be a good good strategy. Yeah, um, and the URL is much easier to type. Um, and when you're a Decacord, you need a good URL. Yeah, maybe she's in was taken. I I have a feeling it was. Um, yeah, so they're a fashion brand. They're a direct-to-consumer fashion brand. Uh, I mentioned that they're based in China. Um, to my knowledge, they're not selling direct in China yet, which is interesting uh, so they they mostly sell in international markets, including uh, they have a significant presence in the U.S. So so U.S. listeners can uh, go to Shein.com. It's literally S-H-E-I-N.com um, and shop for apparel. Um, and they would self-describe themselves as real-time fashion. And so the differentiation would be you kind of have – the original, um, you know, trend-based fashion retailers like a J. Crew or an Abercrombie and Fitch, 
And then, you know, they really got challenged by these so-called fas- fast fashion brands um, like uh, H&M and Zara that, uh, you know, would bring bring products to, to market much faster um, and therefore, you know, have an opportunity to hit trends much more quickly. Uh, they had, you know, wildly more agile supply chains. Um, and then Shein takes that to uh, a much further extreme. Um, they allegedly have a supply chain that can, you know, get something from idea to market in three days. Uh, more typically, it's five to seven days. Um, and, you know, instead of uh, putting putting brands out there at, at the equivalent of the Paris Fashion Show and taking orders, um, they're primarily working through influencers on various social media platforms throughout the world, um, primarily micro-influencers, and creating demand uh, for their apparel. And they're using the data from all of their sales and their direct relationships with all these consumers uh, to dictate what garments they make and what styles they lean into and uh, how they apportion uh, dollars to inventory. So that's that's where the kind of real-time fashion comes in, that they're sort of a, a data-driven fashion uh, company that would kind of next-generation H&M or ASOS or somebody like that. Cool. So the use case is a Kardashian says – you know, some kind of shade of pink is going to be the hot thing. And then four days, their site's covered in that product. Is that kind of the, the yeah. Difficult? Yeah. Although I, uh, I think a nuance, but more often it's a, um, a favorite yoga instructor on, um, Instagram that has 20,000 followers that says something is really cool. Um, and so then enough of that gets made for those 20,000 followers. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. So they'll actually be small, small volumes like that. Yeah. The, I do believe that they are smaller runs, but it's like, they're, they're more likely to be working with those, those kind of influencers than a Kardashian. Got it. And arguably those kind of influencers are a lot more authentic. I think, you know, most, most Kardashian followers will know that like if, if Kim, you know, put something in her feed that she got paid a million dollars to do it. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I know, um, I know you're kind of giddy with excitement uh, about data and because last Friday, the department of commerce came out with one set of data and then yesterday they came out with the other. So we have now got the complete look at the data and I know I'm excited to hear your analysis and um, how did your data science robot do with all this new data coming in? Uh, Pretty well, pretty well. Uh, So um, there were kind of two releases. So it's a big week. Friday morning, uh, we got our monthly release and uh, the super brief primer every month, the U.S. Department of Commerce releases retail sales data and they release an advanced version, which is kind of preliminary and has some kind of course categories that uh, is data for the previous month. So on Friday, they they release the advanced data for April. Um, they release a more um, uh bigger sample size data set uh, with more granular categories that's called the standard release. And that's a month in arrears. So that would be the March data. Uh, And then once a quarter, they release uh, some specific e-commerce data and that e-commerce data got released yesterday. So, so we have both the, the monthly data and the e-commerce data to talk about. Um, And so let's maybe start with the monthly data, uh, Everyone likes to talk about 
this month's sales versus last month's sales, which is I always remind people um, in retail isn't isn't a, uh, a very good way to think about it. Um, but just because that's the way you'll always see it reported, uh, I will tell you that April retail sales were flat versus March. So exactly the same. Um, but if we compare April of 2021 to April of 2020, retail sales were up a whopping 46%. And um, it's probably obvious to you why they are uh, so dramatically up. But April was the the month in the United States that was most impacted by COVID. And that was, you know, right when like we had all the fear and people didn't know how it was going to play out. And um, spending dramatically curtailed. The last April retail sales fell off a cliff, so we're comping against a, a really soft number. Um, and then there's there's actually still some economic stimulus trickling in uh, to the April number this year. So uh, a perfect confluence to have a super high comp. So and we did forty six percent. When you talk about this data, it's always kind of important to remember there's you know. Hit, there's winners and losers because of the pandemic. Um, so the, by far the, the outlier <laughs> data from, from this was that the apparel category, which has like, I would argue had a lot of headwinds before the pandemic got absolutely blitzed in the pandemic. Um, apparel had the greatest comp month in the history of apparel since someone like invented the first fur to put on the naked guy. Um, uh, Peril was up 200 and, or I'm sorry, 727% from April of, of, uh, 2020. Wow. So good luck comping against that next year. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a record. I mean, I know you've kept this data for a while, but is that like the biggest number yeah, you've it's, ever it's, seen it's, ever? it's like by a, almost an order of magnitude. It's the biggest, it's the biggest jump I've ever seen in, in, in any category. A bunch of, in a way, like, Clothing was so soft and things have opened up a lot um, this this month. So it is a good sign for apparel. And as we're going to you know touch on later, there are other reasonable signs that um, that apparel is recovering. And I would even say it's recovering a little more um, prominently than I might have expected it to. So so that's great news for everyone in the apparel industry. Um, I'm happy for all of them. Uh, there are other categories that were helped by the pandemic that were still wildly up, right? So, um, you know, people didn't travel during the pandemic, so they spent a lot more money on their home. So furniture and home home goods was a, a good category for the whole year. Furniture and home goods was up 200% from, uh, from uh, last April, 196%. Uh, sporting goods, which was another huge category that benefited from people not going to the gym, they were up 155% from last year. Electronics, uh, which had kind of a mixed pandemic. Some subcategories of electronics were really good. Some were bad. Um, but electronics was up 139%. So a bunch of these categories were way up. Uh, restaurants and bars, you know, kind of like clothes, you know, had a, had a tragic pandemic. They were up 117%. Um, so a, a bunch of the categories, uh, that, that make up, you know, retail were wildly up. And then obviously there had to be some, uh, I think almost no one was down. In fact, I think nothing was down from April of last year. Um, but the, you know, some, some of the categories that, uh, didn't have as big a slowdown last April, um, had, had more like typical, typical growth. Like the, the general merchants 
you know, that didn't have to close in April at all. Like they, they're up 15% for, uh, year over year, um, largely because they, they didn't have as big a drop last year. And all that averaged out to, what did I say, 40, 39% did I, uh, uh, 46%. Um, so that's kind of the story of overall retail sales. And then uh, you say, well, what about e-commerce? And so e-commerce data is not monthly, it's quarterly. So we, uh, on uh, yesterday, got the Q1 data for 2021. Um, so again, two ways to think about that. Q1 versus Q4, so versus last quarter, and Q1 versus Q1 of last year, so year over year. And again, I always encourage you to think year over year for retail data. Um, so Q1 is up 7.7% from Q4, which is actually a good number. Like ordinarily you would expect uh, e-commerce to slow down in Q1 versus Q4 because Q, you know, Q4 is such a big quarter. Um, all of retail was up 7.8%. Uh, so, so e-commerce kind of exactly mirrored retail growth uh, looking at Q1 versus Q4. But when you look at Q1 versus Q1 of last year, and so again, last year was not pandemic impacted, um, it's a much different story. E-commerce was up 39.1% Q1 of 2020 versus Q1 of 2019. So very robust growth, much bigger than typically what we see. And uh, that compares against 17% retail growth. Um, so uh, that kind of, in a nutshell, highlights... Uh, the dramatic acceleration of e-commerce as a result of the pandemic. Um, and again, you can kind of drill down into some categories. Um, and the, the biggest gainer would have been food and beverage. And that makes perfect sense, right? Because again, there wasn't a lot of grocery e-commerce before the pandemic and everyone learned how to shop online for groceries. So e-commerce uh, grocery was up 107%. Um I'm trying to think what other categories had a, a, a the the do it yourself and home improvement category was up 63 percent. Uh, the general merchandise, which has a lot of um, uh, food and essentials in it, was up 62 percent. Um, so you know a bunch of categories had a uh, had uh, you know way outsized e-commerce growth. So that's what the industry did. Um, and so as a reminder. When when you're hearing all these companies do their earnings and they talk about their e-commerce growth and they throw out a big number, uh, you really ought to be comparing it to this 39% to see if they grew more or less than the industry average. Cool. And then if I remember, Amazon International did, but U.S. was a little below. U.S. was like 36%. Yeah, but in, they're right in that ballpark. They're, they yeah. like Not surprisingly, they closely mirror the total industry growth because, you know, they alone, depending on how you count, are, call it 35 to 45% of all e-commerce in the U.S. On the crazy, I still can't get the 727% out of my head. Uh, on that number, if you went and annualized it, it still would be like 60%. I, I guess you'd have to compound it. I don't know. Like, is it effectively the same as like not shopping for a year and then turning it back on? Is that kind of like essentially what happened? But it seems like it's even higher than that. Yeah, it is deeper than that. Like, I'll be honest. Uh, the 
it's fun to talk about this stuff, but it's such a meaningless number to comp against, like month over month to comp, to comp against last year when April of 2020 was the the most like unorthodox month in the history of retail. Um, yeah. So to kind of level things out a little bit, what you could do is you could say, well, what are we year, year to date this year versus last year? And uh, year to date, apparel is up 50% versus last year. So that is still very meaningful. Um, you know, if you think about year to date, it is four months and three of those months weren't impacted by the pandemic like 50% growth is still is pretty significant. Uh, but it does, you know, apparel is a wild outlier in how fast it grew this month. But if you look year to date, um, you know, category like sporting goods has grown more year to date than apparel has. Yeah. This may be one of the first times offline it's grown faster than e-commerce too. Uh, I mean, I know in it's that a month one category. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I mean like, all in, it was seven point seven versus seven point eight. Yeah, fair. Yeah, interesting. Cool. Um, and then, so then we had a bunch of retailers actually uh, put up their numbers. Uh, so then, that's super helpful to kind of. Uh, so now we have this kind of baseline. So that's the rising tide. Uh, and I know you are our official Walmart tracker. What did you see out of Walmart's numbers? Yeah. So before we jump into that, let's maybe just have a, a moment of appreciation for all of the retail reporters this week, because I feel like we had a, a ton of uh, of earnings calls and a lot of them are like late at night or off hours. So I do. I pity some of those guys that had to, to work hard for one week a year um, or one week a quarter. I'm teasing. Uh, so that being said, uh, Walmart, uh like I would argue was a significant winner in the pandemic and they continue to have strong momentum. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to get into all the financial numbers that, you know, are tied to the stock performance, because as you know, I don't care that much about um, the the stock performance of these companies. I care how much stuff they sold. Um, so the two numbers I'm, I'm caring about the most are uh, same store sales comps and e-commerce comps. So same store sales growth for Walmart was up 6% uh, versus last year. And e-commerce was up 37% uh, versus uh, this quarter last year. Uh, so those those are both good numbers. Normal same store sales growth, like on average we look for, is around 3 or 4%. So 6% is very healthy. Um, and, you know, e-commerce comps used to be in the kind of 15 to 25%. So 37% is a good number. Um, I, I will tell you that because of the pandemic, people are talking a lot about comps versus two years ago. And so that 6% comp sounds good, but uh, this quarter's retail sales were up 16% from retail sales two years ago. So the year over two year comp is pretty, pretty stellar for a retailer the size of Walmart, the largest retailer in the world. Uh, to be up 16% um, is is a, a sign that they were definitely a share gainer in the pandemic. Um, a couple of uh, uh, things I'll, I'll point out that are interesting. Um, one of the trends in the pandemic is people are choosing fewer stores and giving those stores more of their business. And so my argument is, like, we need to be looking at who the winners and losers are in that calculus. Walmart's a clear winner. Um, they're... Uh, transactions are actually down 3%. So 3% fewer people walked in and bought something from them. 
But every time someone bought something, they bought 10% more than they did last year. And again, if we look at that on a two-year basis, their transactions are actually down over 8% and their basket size is up 32%. So what's happening is, you know, uh, a millennial that used to get booze at Total Wine and uh, produce from Whole Foods and shelf-stable stuff from Walmart is now getting everything from Walmart. And that's that's a big win. Um, so... So overall, I would argue that that was um, a really strong quarter for for Walmart. Um, the The story of all these earnings is going to be that e-commerce is still going to be wildly up, but the growth is going to be decelerating. So I kind of tried to pull the last several quarters from all these companies um, and uh, kind of lay out a trend. So first quarter of the pandemic, Walmart e-commerce is up 97%. Second quarter of the pandemic, Walmart e-commerce is up 79%. Third quarter of the pandemic, Walmart e-commerce is up 69%. So amazing run for the second largest e-commerce site in the U.S. And then Q1, they were up 37%. So 37% is awesome in every way, except that it's much smaller than the last three quarters. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then I was reading the transcript and I saw that uh, John Ferner, uh, the president of the U.S., was talking about the last mile business. I think one of the analysts asked about it. Um, and you track this more than I do, but they have a ton of stuff going on with last mile. They've got that thing with the body cam. They've got a, you know, a, um, a drive network kind of a thing. Uh, but this was interesting. So they said, we're excited about our last mile business. We've been operating our first delivery vans that are Walmart branded in the market here in Arkansas. And we're learning a lot as we go forward. When I when I saw that, I had this mental image of my street that already has a couple prime vans going up and down at a FedEx and UPS. And I imagined a Walmart truck followed by a Target truck, then a J. Crew truck, an Abercrombie truck. Like where Target, you know, did I say Target? So I, you know, where does this Home Depot and Lowe's trucks, where, where does this, where does this go? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I, I think maybe Walmart just decided that there was, you know, it was too easy to buy a delivery van in the U S so they wanted to make it more difficult. Um, cause I, as I've learned from you, those, those things are in very short supply. Uh, but yeah, the, it last mile, uh, sales, Outside of the store are the story of the pandemic, and we'll we'll be talking about that with some of these other earnings uh, reports. But I I want to say um, I'm not sure Walmart disclosed it in in their earnings call, but like I've seen other reports from Walmart that like curbside pickup was up 130 percent last quarter. Um, so so all these these last mile things are way up, and uh, if you're at Walmart scale, you have to try a bunch of different things to try to be able to get those those uh groceries from the parking lot to the customer so most often it's the customer comes to the parking lot and picks it up but but uh walmart you know is partnering with a lot of third-party delivery services so you know i think they sort of have a network of them including instacart that they use in some markets um they started their own delivery service where they contract drivers to drive for them and th those drivers were mostly using private vehicles. So they, you know, they, they were competing against Uber to get drivers to drive Walmart orders to people's homes. Um, that's called Spark Delivery. Uh, and there's a flavor of that where they tried to recruit Walmart employees to be the drivers. And so what I think John was talking about specifically in the earnings is a specific variant of that Spark Delivery where instead of the driver using a private vehicle, that they're using a test fleet of Walmart-branded vehicles. Um, 
And there's a bunch of benefits for that when you're delivering grocery. Uh, you can have refrigerated vans and climate control. So you can start doing more deliveries per trip instead of like kind of point to point single deliveries, which is what you mostly have to do with independent contractors and private vehicles. Um, so I think that's what he was talking about. But as you pointed out, Walmart also has in-home delivery um, that I forget what they call it, but they have a porch delivery service where they install um, uh, coolers in your porch and deliver to that. They're, you know, they're they're wisely kind of testing every delivery method you can imagine. Um, and there is demand for all those things, but don't lose sight of the fact that the the high volume, big money for these guys um, that aren't like pre- predominantly in in high density metropolitan areas like Walmart is curbside pickup. It's people coming to the store and picking up their orders. Interesting. So you're not not envisioning 40,000 Walmart trucks or vans delivering stuff every day? Uh, I doubt it. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I, I think we're going to, th- I have a feeling that uh, Amazon's last mile delivery capacity is going to grow a lot faster than Walmart's. I just, I just think when you like look at the demographics of the Walmart shop or, uh, the, the unit economics just, just don't work as well, but, uh, who knows? Maybe I'll be wrong. Uh, I can tell you in general, consumers don't want to pay for any of those delivery services. So that's the rub. You got to find a way to profitably do that. Um, now, you know, Walmart's traditional nemesis is target and they also reported, did you get a chance to look at the, the target numbers at all? I did. I was uh, looking for an announcement of Target Vans. Didn't see one, um, but on the results. So some of the highlights in the U.S. stores were up 18% on a same-store sales basis. Digital was up 50%, so so quite strong, um, beating your friends at Walmart there. Um, and that blended together puts the U.S. up at 229 Same day, which uh, you know they've talked a lot about uh, and then has been growing way north of 100%, if I recall, um, slowed down to a paltry 90%. And that's powered by shipped. Um, I've used that service a lot. It's It's really quite strong and they've done a really good job with that and integrating it right into the system and checkout and everything. Um, curbside, uh, curbside did give them their triple digit grower up 123%. Um, so that is interesting to see. So uh, maybe, maybe we're seeing people as the pandemic, the thaws move from, you know, same day delivery, which does have a fee to more of a curbside pickup uh, as you've predicted um, pretty frequently. Uh, 95% of their orders were fulfilled from stores. So this was, this is one where they have been touting ship from store for a very long time. And this number has crept up. If I recall, it was kind of like 60%, 80%, 95%, I think is the highest I've seen it. That's, that's a lot. Um, makes you question, why do you have a warehouse? If you're only shipping 5% of your orders out of a warehouse is the, the other flip side of that number, um, and then uh, the same kind of trend that you gave. Uh, so if we kind of go back a year, Q2 of 2020, e-commerce was 195%. And then Q3, 155%. Q4, 118%. And then Q1 of 2021, it grew only 50%. So uh, definitely seeing these as as we're lapping, at least on the online side, as we're lapping the COVID quarter uh, you know, the growth rates are coming down pretty substantially and that's, that's Q1, you know, it could actually go, you know, flat to negative, uh, on some of these folks as we get into Q2, because that was where, you know, the, the, the bottoming out was. So it's gonna be interesting to see that, but 
you know, what's nice for these omni-channel guys is the stores are picking up uh, and, uh, you know, and they're comping very positively against this time last year. So um, it's been nice for them to have that portfolio of online, offline, and then even the subs of delivery and curbside and whatnot. Yeah, no, 100%. And I, I think, um, uh, again, I think Walmart and Target are kind of the net winners in the in the pandemic. So they, you know, both both put up great numbers. Like, you know, objectively, the Target numbers across the board are better. It's just against a much smaller base than uh, than than Walmart. So, you know, Walmart's are impressive because they already were so big. Targets are, are just super impressive. And I, I feel like um, hugely beneficial to Target that they had acquired and invested so much and shipped right before all this happened and, ma- and made those capabilities particularly valuable. Uh, the thing I've been tracking is Target, you know, has recognized that, that people like that last mile and they like coming in the store and uh, picking stuff up in the parking lot. So they've been dramatically expanding what you can pick up. So uh, originally you couldn't get groceries from curbside pickup at Target. And so during the pandemic, they slowly figured out how to add groceries to that mix. And you know what they added this quarter that I think is really smart is adult beverages, is alcohol, um, mm. which a lot of other retailers uh, do not provide yet. Uh, so you now can can you ship to get your booze? So they're both competing on last mile delivery with like the Drizzly. Uh, but they're, you know, one of the most robust solutions I know of for curbside pickup for booze. Uh, yeah. And I guess one other thing I would just say about Target before I move on, uh, to me, it's a super interesting, I think Walmart and Target both have smart strategies for themselves. And what's interesting is how diametrically opposed they are. I think Walmart is, really trying to compete on the long tail against Amazon of SKUs and try to have as big an assortment as possible. And so they've leaned into the marketplace. Um, I think they're up to north of 40 million SKUs for sale now. And to do that, they've had to, you know, really beef up their warehouses. Uh, You know, I think they're at like between 30 and 40 e-commerce fulfillment centers now, um, which is way more than anyone in the U.S. with the exception of Amazon. Um, and they've even had to launch their own, uh, you know, fulfillment by Walmart service to compete with with FBA from Amazon. So so Walmart's doing all these things to compete uh, f- for that long tail against Amazon. Target has gone the complete other way. Target has said, hey, we've got 60,000 super desirable SKUs in our stores, and those are the items we're going to sell. And so our e-commerce sales are going to be the same items that our in-store sales are. And that's why they're able to do that. 95% fulfill from store is because um, they're they're selling, you know, a much uh, smaller assortment of items. And of course, as we've talked about in the past, a lot of those items are items that you can only get from Target because they're exclusive Target brands that are doing very well. So yeah, they're digital shelf deniers. Yeah, yeah. So the, I think, you know, those are two interesting strategies that those two retailers are both employing to, to win. Um. So then there were some apparel retailers that reported this this uh, week, uh, and I think the the big two ones were Macy's and TJ Maxx. I think Ralph Lauren's going to report tomorrow morning, so we'll have to we'll have to cover that one next time. Um, but Macy's again, apparel starting to to have a recovery. Um, you know, per that U.S. Department of Commerce stuff, you know, Macy's has a, a significant uh, component of of uh, of um, apparel. Uh, so, so their comps were, as far as I know, like the most up, I would argue, you know, Macy's struggled the most in the pandemic. So that makes it 
easiest to comp up. Um, and their their sales were decimated in April of, of 2020. So against, we're, you know, we're kind of comping against um, one one uh, really bad or a partial bad month in their in their quarterly stuff. But their comps were up 62 percent. Um, so that's that's astronomical. And their e-commerce comps were up 34 percent. So they're about the only only uh, retail example I've seen where the stores grew more than e-commerce. Um, and so, again, following the, the theme, um, Q1 of 2020, they had 53% e-commerce growth. Then Q, Q3, they went to 27% growth. Q4, they went to 21% growth. And then Q1, uh, they they re-accelerated to 34%. So that's... Um, a very different shape than we've seen from almost any other retailer. And my speculation is because uh, they, they had such a rough time last year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, they mentioned they're having a hard time hiring. So I think a lot of this has caught a lot of people by, by surprise a little bit that, you know, the, the surge of demand. So both sides, so on the, the downside of the V shape and then the upside has been hard for everyone to kind of manage there. Yeah, and we're not even talking about, but there are all kinds of like supply chain challenges. Like you know, everything's still topsy turvy. I don't like. I don't think the apparel guys were expecting this fast a recovery. Um, I, I, they might have hoped for it, but I don't think they they plan from it from an inventory standpoint. So there, there's a chip shortage. So if you have any blue jeans oh, that have a chip in them, you're toast. Yeah, yeah, uh, that is crushing some other industries um, for for sure. Uh, and I'm desperate for a new Apple um, laptop, so I, it's gonna it's it's gonna be heartbreaking if they delay those because of the chip shortage. I think they make their own silicon, so I think you're okay. They do, I but they I still the think they're Taiwan having... semiconductor. Okay, well, I I we'll see. Um, and uh, TJ Maxx is uh, I'm sort of sad because TJ Maxx is one of the those retailers that does not report e-commerce growth. Um, you know, it probably isn't super uh, significant because in in uh, uh, their their industry, e-commerce is r- tough because their um, uh, the inventory depth is a lot less and things turn a lot faster. So the argument is, you know, harder to put all your inventory up on on a website. Um, but their comp sales had a nice recovery. Their their comp sales for the quarter were up sixteen percent. And so, you know, to kind of put that in perspective, last year uh, they. They were down three percent, five percent, and three percent. Um, so going from three negative quarters in a row to up sixteen percent is a a super uh, uh, wild, healthy swing, you know. And I think it just kind of reflects the rebound we're seeing in in apparel. Yeah, and then um, the home builders, which is uh, home materials companies, Lowe's and Home Depot. Uh, you know, this has been another part of the economy that's white hot right now. In fact, they're suffering shortages. You can't get wood and all kinds of things are really hard to get uh, these days. Um, so it was interesting to see them. So Lowe's, I'll, I'll do that one. You do Home Depot. Lowe's, their comps came out at 11.3%, which is their same store sales. E-commerce was up 36.5%, which is pretty good. Uh, you know, if we kind of, if we're kind of keeping score here, we had Target e-commerce at 50 uh, Walmart at 37 and then Macy's at 34. So, you know, these guys are, are right in there at 36.5. Uh, so in the, with the pack there. Um, but then if you look at the trend, same story. So Q2, you know, a year ago, uh, effectively 135%. Uh, 
uh, Q3 of 2020, 106, Q4 of 2020, 121, and then Q1 2021, 36.5%. When I see numbers like this, I'm kind of thinking, well, if I'm the head of e-commerce there, you know, working on your 2021 bonus plan would have been pretty interesting. You know, how do you, how do, you know, what do you do? You can't talk about 140% growth. So, you know, uh, hopefully they all figured all that out and had come in on or ahead of plan on, on that side. Um, so a big jump off there, just like we saw with the other ones, but to be expected. And I think that trend will continue in Q2, probably hopefully bottom out. And then in Q3, we'll start to see them kind of get to kind of positive quarter on quarter, year over year growth trends. Yeah. I mean, it, everything's going to be topsy-turvy for a couple of years here, but I, I take that is really encouraging, right? Like there's kind of two stories here. There's there's industries and retailers that did really poorly last year. And so they're they're seeing big numbers because you know, they're, they're comping against very soft comps. Um, but Lowe's and Home Depot, which we're about to talk about, like actually did really well in the pandemic. So for them to still be putting up, you know, objectively big numbers, like 11% store comps and 36% e-commerce comps, um, is a, a really helpful sign. Like you might've expected them to get a lot softer if, if their demand was exclusively, uh, tied to, to pandemic behaviors. So, uh, so that was an impressive um, uh, earnings for Lowe's. And then uh, the only bad news for Lowe's is that Home Depot looks to have done even better. Um, so their comps were up an amazing 29%. Um, and I'm, I'm, I didn't pull the data, but like I think Lowe's performed similarly to Home Depot in Q2 of last year. So I, I don't think this is a di- against a different base. I think Home Depot just had a better quarter than Lowe's. Um, which is uh, super impressive. And then sadly, I can't tell you what their e-commerce growth is. Uh, Home Depot ordinarily does disclose their e-commerce growth, but they usually disclose it not in their their earnings filings, which is kind of a gap thing, but in their investor presentation when they're talking about their earnings. And for some bizarre reason this year or this quarter, uh, Home Depot reported their earnings yesterday, but their investor presentation isn't until tomorrow. So we'll probably find out tomorrow what their their e-commerce growth was. But uh, to put it in perspective, it was, you know, slightly softer than Lowe's, but it's it's a bigger uh, base. So they were 100% in Q2 of last year and then up 80% in Q3 and then up 83% in Q4. So it's... Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see if they can match Lowe's with that kind of 35 to 40% growth in, in Q1. That's that's going to reflect really well for them. Very cool. Thanks for uh, walking us through that. So it was really interesting to see this data as compared to the U.S. Department of Commerce data. And before we sign off, it wouldn't be a Jason Scott show without... Amazon News. Your margin is their opportunity. Yeah, so I thought I would sneak a little quick Amazon news in here. A um, couple things. Uh, none of these are, are interrelated other than the Amazon connection. So uh, some of the logistics folks I saw kind of, you know, shallantly sh- said, hey, look, Amazon Air, which is their their network of planes that deliver freight back and forth that, that kind of competes with FedEx and UPS to some degree. Um, they added Pittsburgh and Kansas City as destination airports. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're building out this network. They started at um, 
CVG, which is kind of the, 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 the main airport that like near Louisville, that a lot of, a lot of people use here, um, Cincinnati, Louisville. And, um, you know, that kind of was the hub, but now they've expanded from one airport hub to two to three. And I think this is like five and six that they've added. And there's been a lot of reports that we haven't had time for on the show where they're buying more and more planes. So this Amazon logistics infrastructure just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I've stopped. I used to track the number of fulfillment centers. I've, I've stopped doing that. Um, there's other people that, that have full-time folks that track that now. Um, but it's just insanely massive and, and even hard to keep track of. They're so far ahead on that. Um, one I thought of you when I saw was they did a little pharmacy news where they were talking about how they're going to bring price transparency to the pharmacy. There's all these, um, you probably know how these work better than I do, but there's all these discount cards that are out there and all these different, you know, and then of course copay and not copay. So they announced that they're going to have a pretty simple place where you can go and enter all your information and it'll kind of give you total price transparency, but also kind of share where the best, where and how to get the best prices. Did you feel like that was a game changer or is that just kind of a a yawn? Uh, I'm not sure I would call it either. Um, The, uh, I to me, it felt like Amazon putting their own user experience on an acquisition that they made last year that we talked a little bit about on the show. So they had one of these like pharmacy discount plans for non-prescription meds, and I, I want to say it was I get these confused sometimes, but it was um was it Good RX or RX Saver maybe? Um, so they they acquired one of these discount plans and and so I think the announcement was them kind of you know taking the friction out of that and making that a more robust offering and and kind of rebranding it as um Amazon. Cool. So that's it's a step forward but I I'm, I'm not sure I would call it a game changer changer. Okay. One small step for pharmacy transparency, one giant leap for um saving money. Um the other one that's really interesting, and this is kind of in the rumor phase, but um, you know, I, I think you probably saw that there was a big transaction in the movie space, and um, as part of that, it kind of shook loose MGM. So um, the antitrust folks, there's two companies that merged. Um, they, I think MGM kind of had to be a part of that, and there's a lot of talks that Amazon's looking at buying MGM, and they have a massive library. Uh, I think on the new movie side, they're they're not super exciting. They're not one of the top um, top folks for new movies and new content, but I think their library is pretty interesting. And you can imagine Amazon buying that and then locking it down for only Prime subscribers. So that could be a really interesting move. Um, and then there's uh, Jeff uh, Goldberg, Greenberg. You're Goldberg, Greenberg, Jeff Green, Jeff Greenberg. Well, there's a Jeff guy that I've met before. Um, he's kind of their head corp dev guy. He recently resigned, and now they're saying he may come back to run this. So that would be kind of an interesting thing. Did you see any Amazon news um, uh, that was interesting to you? Yeah, yeah. I'll add one to your list. Um, uh, and I, I feel like this is in direct response to me being a little annoyed by some of Amazon's naming. And I think they, they got the message and fixed it for me, which I'm very appreciative of. Um, but as as listeners will well know, Amazon has a lot of grocery store concepts. So they they you know have this chain of of uh, grocery stores that they call Amazon Fresh. Um, that and they of course have these convenience stores with just walk out technology called Amazon Go. Well, astute followers of Amazon will know that there's a couple of grocery stores in Seattle that were branded Amazon Go Grocery, which felt like a weird 
outlier. Like, you know, originally the Go concept was supposed to be a grocery store, as as reported by Brad Stone. Um, and they they had trouble making that work, so they downsized it to convenience store, and then they later launched Amazon Fresh as their grocery concept. Uh, and there were a couple of these like pilot stores that were called Amazon Go Grocery, and so they've they've closed one in Seattle, and they've rebranded the other one to uh, from Amazon Go Grocery to Amazon Fresh. So they're cleaning up the names a little bit. Um, and it it is interesting because I want to say uh. The Amazon Go stores are branded Amazon Fresh in the UK as well. So there still is some naming confusion, but it seems like they're they're taking baby steps towards uh, consol- consolidating all of this, which is interesting. Um, but Scott, I feel like that's an overwhelming amount of news to cram into one show. Uh, so we are going to wrap it there. As uh, Scott reminded us all at the beginning of the show, uh, if you enjoyed this episode or if you learned something from it, we sure would appreciate it if you jump on iTunes and give us that five-star review. As always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to hit us up on the Twitter or Facebook. Thanks, everyone, for joining, and we appreciate those five-star reviews. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 